Hello, and welcome once again to another episode of the TriDoc Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sankoff, the TriDoc, an emergency physician and multiple Ironman finisher coming to you from beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. With the recent cancellations of races here in North America going into October, it's looking more and more likely that 2020 is definitively going to be remembered as a lost year. While many have managed with virtual racing and some have been lucky enough to take part in small local events, the vast majority of athletes around the world have been faced with a total loss of all of their events, and that includes me. I suspected back when this first began that this would be a possibility, and as time passed I could see the writing on the wall and became more and more convinced that in fact we were not going to see any events this year, and I'm sorry to have been right. But now, I find myself looking forward again, and not really entirely sure that 2021 is necessarily looking all that much better. Given the way people in the United States have treated this pandemic, I think that it's highly unlikely that we're going to see a significant change in case numbers or mortality from COVID-19 in the next six months. And while hopes are high for a vaccine, right now somewhere around 50% of Americans are expressing misgivings about getting it. So where does that leave us? Well, unless there's some really significant breakthrough in treatment, which is pretty unlikely, or a drastic change in the virulence and severity of this illness, which is only slightly more plausible, then I'm afraid that here in North America, we could very well be looking at a 2021 that feels a lot like 2020. Elsewhere in the world, it is possible that things will be different. In Europe and Oceania, and possibly even in Canada, I would not be surprised to see events return, but then only for locals. Here in America, I'm just not so sure. Clearly something is going to have to change, and it's going to have to be accompanied by a pretty tectonic shift in attitudes that I have a hard time believing is likely. But time will tell. We can only hope that somehow we figure this out so that we can start to dream about a start line before 2022. On the show today, I talked to Jamie Ann Rennick, who is the director of marketing at a company in an industry that, unlike so many others, has actually seen an increase in business related to the pandemic. Bicycles have been flying out of stores since the spring, and the American Bicycle Group, owners of Quintana Roo, Obed, and Lightspeed brands, are benefiting just as much as some of their older and bigger competitors in the business. I talked to Jamie Ann about what 2020 has been like for ABG. First, though, as always, I have a medical question to answer. Matt reached out to me via my Facebook page to ask about Epsom salt baths. We often hear about these as kind of a cure-all for anything that ails you, but Matt wanted to know if there was any science to back that up. So I take a look into that and share my findings with you right now. On this podcast, I take on a lot of tough subjects related to whether or not product X is likely to really do what it's advertised to do with respect to making you train, race, or recover better. Now, most of the time, the scientific evidence falls well short of what manufacturers claim and what you can expect. And in almost all of the instances thus far on this podcast, if you took what I said to heart, you would have saved a fair amount of money by not purchasing product X. 
Well, today's episode is less about saving you money because the intervention that I'm going to be looking at doesn't cost a whole lot, but it still warrants my attention because frankly, it's something that I've wondered about for quite some time. And until I was contacted through the TriDoc podcast Facebook page about it, I didn't know if I would have really ever thought to look into it. Matt wrote to me from Australia asking about Epsom salt baths. Why are these so universally advocated as a cure-all for pretty much anything that ails you? And more importantly, is there any evidence that they actually work? Well, I have to admit that I am guilty of being one of the many providers who will often tell patients to make use of these things. Epsom salt baths is something that I have suggested since pretty much I started practicing medicine, and I'm going to confess that I never learned about them in medical school, never really heard much about it during my residency training. In fact, I've never really heard about it except that everybody else seems to suggest it. So given the lack of any kind of harm that they seem to be causing, it just seemed like a reasonable thing to keep pushing along. Well, Epsom salt baths have indeed been around for a really long time and have permeated medical care, as I just suggested, as well as adjunctive medical care, and frankly, grandma's dispensed advice for what seems like time immemorial. So it would seem that if just about anything ails you, an Epsom salt bath could be recommended as the cure. Well, I did a little bit of research and found that Epsom salts have a pretty interesting history, but not a whole lot of evidence to support almost any of the suggested uses, save for one. However, I don't really have much negative to say about them, because let's face it, Epsom salt baths are really inexpensive, don't really cause a whole lot of harm, and as we're going to see, using them can be kind of relaxing. Well, the history of Epsom salts is really the most entertaining part of this story, so let's definitely spend some time with that. The summer of 1618 saw England gripped by drought. But as Henry Wicker, a local cowherd, walked across Epsom Common, which is about 10 miles southwest of London Centre, he came across a pool of water from which his very thirsty cattle refused to drink. The water, it turned out, coming from that spring, tasted very, very bitter, and when evaporated, yielded a salt. And this salt was to become known forever after as Epsom salt because of its discovery there within Epsom Common. Now, unlike table salt, which is composed of sodium and chloride, this powder is too a salt, but instead is a compound made from magnesium and sulfate. And locals would dissolve this salt in beverages or drink the water straight from the spring itself and learn quickly that when doing so, it had a remarkable laxative effect due to the effect of the magnesium on the gut. And this is true even to today. Uh, there are several popular over-the-counter laxatives that can be purchased, such as milk of magnesia, which essentially just use magnesium salts to get you moving. Well, in 17th century England, where dietary fiber was tough to come by, this particular medicinal effect was very welcome. And the town of Epsom soon had a burgeoning spa business for the many English who, for lack of a better description, were really stuck up. But Wicker and others also thought they saw something else in those cattle who first refused to drink from the bitter spring water. He and others swore that wounds on the legs of his cows healed faster and without infection if they were let to wade through the salty water. And it was from these reports that the healing effects of Epsom salts began and have ever since been propagated. 
At the time, when news spread about the well and its healing effects, people would come from all over the London and even greater England area to Epsom Common to bathe in the water to soothe pretty much anything that ailed them, from gout to open wounds. And while they were there, they would drink several pints of the stuff, go for a brisk walk, and join their friends to take advantage of the purging effects of the water along the local wooded paths. I don't know about you, but it sounds like a lovely way to spend a day in the country. At any rate, as time has passed, Epsom salts have been recommended for skin conditions, sore muscles, and ingrown toenails, to name but a few of the many ailments for which the salts are purported to help. The idea is that when dissolved in water, the salt dissociates into magnesium and sulfate ions, and that the magnesium is absorbed into the body to do assorted good deeds. We know, for example, that magnesium is an important cofactor for many enzymatic processes, and that magnesium is found only in limited quantities in normal circumstances within the body. So, sitting in a pool of water that has very high concentrations of magnesium, so the theory goes, will drive that magnesium through the skin into the body and facilitate all of these different processes for which magnesium is a cofactor. Well, here, alas, is where reality diverges from the entertaining tales. First and foremost, it needs to be said that the magnesium in Epsom salt simply does not pass through the skin. So the premise by which the salts are purported to work is immediately undermined. Now, the reason for this is because your skin has an important function, and that is to keep stuff out specifically anything that is ionized. And when in solution, magnesium takes on a cationic property. That is to say, it's a positively charged ion in the water. And there's no way it's passing through the skin. Well, not too surprisingly, there is really vanishingly little actual science that has been done to support or refute the claims of what Epsom salts can do. But the reality is that what studies have been done have simply shown no real benefit. And this goes for the healing properties as well as the soothing properties. Now, with that being said, I think that it's important to note that Epsom salts baths are usually very warm, if not particularly hot baths, and there is plenty of anecdotal and scientific evidence to support the fact that a hot bath can be very soothing, especially for sore muscles, one of the ailments for which Epsom salt baths are recommended. So while the Epsom salts themselves may not add a whole lot to the equation, I don't want to discourage anyone from the practice of using hot baths with or without the salts to treat their tired and aching bodies. Many people really like the feel of Epsom salts baths, and I, for one, am not going to discourage this practice, since, as I said before, this is a relatively inexpensive and generally harmless thing to do. Now, one thing that I do want to point out at this juncture, though, is the fact that Epsom salts, when used for their laxative effects, can be dangerous if taken in too high a quantity. Magnesium is toxic. And if Epsom salts are taken in too high a concentration or volume, that toxicity can manifest itself. And this is especially true for children, in whom even smaller amounts can have important effects. So if Epsom salts are going to be used specifically as a laxative, they need to be used in the recommended quantities and no more. Still, despite everything, I think the take-home message here really needs to be that while Epsom salts baths don't really have any specific benefits, as I've said a couple of times, they're pretty inexpensive, and the warm bath that they're dissolved in will likely, going, will likely go a long way to making you feel good. So, given the lack of harm, I say, why not? Do you have a question for me to consider answering on the podcast? 
well, email it to me at tri underscore doc at icloud.com. Twenty twenty has been a year to forget in many, many ways, and we are only a little over halfway done with it. Economically, we're only starting to get a sense of how bad things are, and the effects will likely be felt for quite some time. One industry that has seen an uptick in sales and customers in general is the bicycle industry. Bike manufacturers, large and small, have reported jumps in sales as more and more people have entered the market since the institution of lockdowns back in the spring. Based in Chattanooga, Tennessee, American Bicycle Group manufactures three brands of high-performance bicycles, Quintana Roo, or QR Triathlon Bikes, Obed Carbon All-Road Gravel and Mountain Bikes, and Lightspeed Titanium Road Gravel and Mountain Bikes, as well as the Hydro Series of Wetsuits and Swim Skins under the QR brand. In 2017, ABG invested in an expanding manufacturing facility with a paint and assembly line for its bikes, allowing athletes to custom build a bike. Demand was high and the line was expanded in 2018. Joining me to talk about ABG and the whole 2020 situation as it pertains to their industry is Jamie Ann Rennick. Jamie Ann has been with the ABG team since 2019 as the Director of Marketing. She was a triathlete from 2009 to 2016 and completed Ironman Florida as well as the Half Ironman in Chattanooga. But since 2013, she's mainly focused on open water distance swimming. Thanks so much for taking some time to join me on the TriDoc podcast today, Jamie Ann. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, it's been uh, an understatement to say a, an interesting year. Uh, I'm curious, how has ABG managed uh, during the pandemic? Well, I would definitely say it's been an interesting year from all fronts, personal and business. But um, yeah, so I think we were kind of the same with any other company um, in you know, in the world when everything kind of went through a shift, especially I think that was mid-March for the United States. So we um, we went to into a quarantine mode here um, where most of us went and worked from home. And that's kind of odd for a bicycle manufacturer. How can you do that? Um, but we were really lucky in how we strategized and made that work. Um, we launched a few spring sales. We were going to anyways. So we launched a few earlier than expected and kind of almost bracing for the worst, to be honest. But um, a few weeks into the sale, we started noticing, hey, wait, this is working. Um, this is great. And then, you know, a month or so into um, the COVID situation, uh, sales kept going up, kept holding steady. And we noticed we weren't the only ones, um, I guess, with the closing of gyms across the country and even the world people were finding the reason to get on bikes even more so than before. Um, and I kind of coupled it with, you know, spring coming around and the weather becoming beautiful. People were getting outside. It was healthy. It was safe. And why not do it on two wheels? And so we started realizing we were at the luckier end of the COVID crisis as to, in terms of business. Yeah, I, I've alluded to it a few times on the podcast. It, it, I mean, it's hard to really say there's silver linings to this situation because the situation's just been so awful. But uh, when we look back uh, years from now, uh, hopefully sooner when we can look on the other side of this, uh, I do think that this shift towards cycling is going to be something that I hope is permanent because uh, it, it's kind of 
coming at the intersection of some important kind of things. Uh, you know, e-bikes have really uh, become um, something that are more attainable, uh, that are more uh, widely available in all kinds of different models and have become a real practical solution for commuters. Uh, and the explosion of gravel bikes where or, or gravel biking as, a, as something uh, that people are pursuing, where obviously you are very well situated with your Obed line, and we're going to get to that in a little while. Um, and, and it just seems to me that this introduction of people to cycling can only help those of us who have been cycling for a long time because uh, you know we've had many conversations on this podcast about the interaction between drivers and cyclists and how that all too frequently results in tragedy and I, I can only think that more people riding bikes can can just you know lead to a better uh, understanding of cyclists in you know society as a whole and uh, yeah I mean your experience seems to be reflected in many other manufacturers none of the manufacturers that I know of are publicly owned and so none report their sales but uh, if you could give us some insight like when you talk about increasing in sales roundabout without giving away anything like what kind of percentage are you talking about over what you would have expected from you know a usual year oh gosh um I don't have those exact numbers, um, anyways, but I would say, you know, comparative, I would look at, you know, say our Google analytics and stuff like that. And our sales numbers compared year over year, it was crazy to see even our light speed brand was, you know, hitting high numbers, you know, light speed is a very, very niche market. Um, it's a very specialized bicycle, high performing, and it comes at, at a price. And so, even though sales were going up and I will tell you that, um, June and July, we just finished, you know, July, um, those were, I think some of our best sales numbers we've ever had. Oh, that's, that's tremendous. If that news. Tells you, yeah. If that tells you anything, yeah, so, that tells me, it tells me a lot because, you know, I, I have to say I was, I, I was worried at the beginning of all of this. I, I was worried about bike manufacturers and bike shops and I know for myself going to my local bike shop and seeing big lines outside you know waiting to get in and, and not just buy bikes but to buy you know accessories and things like that and it's been like I said a, a silver lining to all of this and uh, I think mm -hmm. it's great I'm very encouraged uh, where do you see things going for the industry and especially for smaller manufacturers like yourselves do you do you see yourself as expanding or do you see yourself really like staying within your lane and doing what you do right now or or would like for example e-bikes be something you would consider moving into as as there is increased demand in that area i wouldn't completely rule out e-bikes um for american bicycle group right now i don't think it's on our docket to do that but i wouldn't completely rule that out but i will see that we i know that we've got a lot of not a lot i don't know how to word that but a good bit of product launches we're planning for the remainder of the year. Um, since we didn't have events to go to this year, which going to events is a big part of our business and especially our marketing, um, especially with Ironman, you know, events getting canceled, we aren't traveling. And so to keep the momentum and keep the excitement up, we do plan to launch several bikes throughout the remainder of the year on all three brands. And so there are things we are going to release that we might not have released otherwise without the COVID pandemic. Um, so I would, 
definitely keep your eyes peeled for that um, because I think we'll have some exciting stuff coming out. All right. That's good to know. Uh, Well, let's take a look at each of your different brands and see if there's anything we can learn about uh, the different areas that you guys are in. And focusing first on triathlon, where has QR succeeded this year and in the past couple of years? Because uh, we've seen tremendous growth in the QR brand. And, And where do you hope to grow in the future? Um, so yeah, if you, I mean, at the beginning of this, you had mentioned that in 2017, we expanded our facilities. Um, that is the year that we went customer direct. And so what that means for us is we do still have dealers all over the world, but we also sell direct to customers by purchasing online. That was a huge shift for us. Um, we completely changed up our, our assembly line here and how we operate, um, So we can take a raw carbon frame and completely build it up to the customer specification. So when anybody, when any customer purchases a bike from us, direct from us, we are literally building it for them. Um, Kind of think about like a Domino's pizza, you know, you order your pizza and they build it for you and you get it to your doorstep. That's exactly how we want. And that's how we build our bikes. And we want the customer to feel like they have a complete control of what their bike is and how it's going to arrive to their doorstep. Um, we have different shipping methods. We have 35 different color and component and graphic options. We even offer custom. Um, so you can completely control your bike from the get-go. And so we are not an off-the-shelf manufacturer. And that is very different um, for companies across the world. And so for QR, that was a huge shift for us. Um, scale sales have just continued to increase since we switched our business model. And um, even in Kona last year, so that was 2019, um, Kona, we were number six on the bike count. And so we were super excited for that. We stood the red carpet and watched everyone go by. Peter shook everyone's hands. And so it's just an exciting time for us. And we continue to expand that. So I know we had originally launched with just one paint booth here. Now we have two. We're talking of adding more. Um, we have been hiring people this year. Our workforce has expanded. So we are constantly and continually looking at ways to make that process better for us and for the customer um, so that they can get the exact bike they want and how they want it to their door. That's awesome. And what about on the wetsuit side? I mean, I, I have this sense that wetsuit sales must have taken a big hit this year with all the races being canceled. Is that accurate? Well, yes and no. Um, the wetsuits, we, you know, we are the original triathlon wetsuit. So we pride ourselves in our wetsuits. They're fantastic. Um, we also have swim skins, but, um, that has never meant to be a big, big side of our business because we focus on our bikes a lot. Um, and so I will say we did, um, kind of dial back advertising on wetsuits and swim skins this year. And also it was the time of year that COVID hit. It wasn't really the the time people were going to be buying and purchasing wetsuits anyways. Um, and we, we launched the swim skins earlier this year as well. So we always had those, but we've done a lot of sales where we might couple a bike purchase with a wetsuit. Cause at the end we know we have a great wetsuit and we want people to be in them. They're great. They look good. Um, especially for people that might want to, want to match their bikes or whatnot. Um, it's a good additional offering that we sell. But like I said, um, we kind of dialed back on the advertising for that anyways, going into the pandemic. And and that's a really nice 
kind of thing to have at your disposal, especially if you're getting into the sport. I know that QR makes, of course, the PR6 at the high end, which is uh, an outstanding bicycle. But you also make very nice offerings at the lower end for beginners who might be getting into the sport. And the ability to get a wetsuit combination with the bike is certainly attractive. That's something that we Mm -hmm. used to see that, you know, local bike shops would offer this triathlon kind of uh, uh, setup uh, to get people into the sport. And it's nice that uh, a bike might manufacturer can still do that. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let's uh, shift uh, our attention to uh, the gravel side of things. Uh, I had just learned of uh, what was previously Okoe, now Obed, uh, just earlier this year through my connection uh, with my team, the Cupcake Cartel, uh, who has an affiliation with uh, uh, ABG. And um, I uh, was really impressed by uh, your owner who uh, took to heart what was going on with uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and learning about the history of Okoe, which uh, which is a town in Florida that uh, your bicycles took its name from. And uh, when he learned that history, changing the name. So could you give us a little more insight onto that? I've spoken about it on the podcast uh, earlier this year, but I'd love to hear it uh, in your words. What, what was that story and what led to the name change? Sure. Well, um, I'll back up a little bit. So Okoe is actually a river um, that is just outside of Chattanooga. Um, it's a, it's also like an area where there's whitewater rafting, um, there's mountain biking, there's hiking. So it's this whole region that's about 45 minutes outside of Chattanooga. So that's really what we named the bikes after. Um, we had no idea there was actually a city in Florida named Ocoee. Um, and, in I think it was early mid May, you know, the black lives matter movement was, getting stronger. There was blackout Tuesday. Um, there were a lot of things happening. And so we stood back, we took a pause from social media and we started meeting internally about the subject and diversity. And, um, we were meeting regularly about it. We created a council internally called the diversity inclusion committee. So we had already started the conversation. And then one day Peter got an email, Peter's our CEO. He got an email from, his daughter-in-law. And she said, I think you need to check this out. And it was about a Coe, Florida. And there was legislation being passed about what they call the Coe massacre. And this was a massacre that happened on black lives, um, back in 1920. So once Peter got the news, um, he, he took some time to reflect and think about it. And he came to work that day and he said, Hey guys, this happened and we need to recognize it and we need to change our name to another name. And so we had company meetings that day and basically the name change was effective immediately. Um, so it was a, it was a busy time. I think it was just a couple of weeks before July 4th. Um, and so we went into, you know, quick work mode to get it renamed, rebranded, um, and the, up, the new website up and running. So now we are fully Obed. We are only shipping Obed bikes out the door. Um, So it's been quite the experience, but it's been really good. Sales are great. Um, All of our customers have been very receptive and excited. So And um, and offering to rebrand bikes that have previously been sold under the Okoe name. That's correct. So um, we actually, in our Obed line, we do not clear coat over our decals. So this was perfect. We were like, if you would like to rebrand your bike, we will ship you new decals to your door with instructions. And so um, we do have instructions. We have a video on how to do it. 
Um, and so that is an opportunity if the customer chooses to do so. And have you had a lot of customers take you up on that? I don't think there have been that many. I don't know if people are just nervous to do it themselves. <laughs> I mean, I kind of would be, but, um, or they just don't want to go through the trouble, but the option is there. Yeah. Uh, well, I was very impressed by that story and uh, made note of it, as I mentioned, during my uh, diversity and triathlon okay. series and uh, wanted to bring it up again and hear it from your own words. And I, I had not realized that uh, there was an Okoe area uh, native to Chattanooga as well. So that's uh, mm-hmm. informative for me. And Obed, Obed, I know I read on the website where it comes from, but why don't you share with our listeners, uh, where does Obed come from? So we wanted to kind of keep with the theme of um, a local region. And so Obed is actually another river up um, more north of us. It's near Knoxville, Tennessee. So it's probably an hour and a half or so away from us. I've actually never been to the Obed River, so I need to go visit. But <laughs> I've, um, I've heard it. I've been to Ocoee many times. I've heard Obed's just as beautiful and fun to fun to visit. So. We're excited about it. Now, Obed has quite an impressive range of uh, bikes uh, on its website as well. And I've seen some very positive reviews. And full disclosure to the listeners, I actually have an Obed bike that is uh, being assembled in the factory as we speak. So haven't got mine yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, uh, is Obed outpacing QR in sales or is it uh, hanging tough? Because uh, I've, I've mentioned the popularity in gravel biking that we're seeing really exploding. I'm just curious. I know triathlon bikes have always been kind of a niche market. Is gravel biking getting close to triathlon in your world? Well, we sell gravel bikes on both our Lightspeed line and our Obed line, and they are both doing extremely well. I, don't, I would not say they are outpacing QR because QR is just – a uh, phenomenal brand does extremely well. Um, gravel is still new, newer to people. And so, but yes, we are doing very well, um, on our gravel bikes on both lines. Um, but it, it's still just gaining momentum, but it's doing really, really well. Great. And I do want to finish with just a couple of questions on Lightspeed because uh, I had thought Lightspeed had disappeared. You guys have done a good job <laughs> of kind of hiding it. Uh, Lightspeed <laughs> was uh, a niche name in triathlon for a long time as a leader in the uh, titanium craze, really before carbon got all the attention. Uh, do you know, are there any plans to make a, a titanium TT frame again? Um, it's funny you ask that because I was, I was in Kona this past year in October and um, I kept seeing some, there were several light speed, uh, titanium. Oh yeah. Those bikes will last forever. <laughs> they, I mean, in Kona, I was like, look at this, this is great. Um, of course we talked to all of them that we could and let them know that, you know, that's also one of our brands and it's always exciting to see them. Um, but I don't think I don't see us revisiting, um, the triathlon bike on that brand. We really try to stick to, um, strict road and gravel and mountain the Lightspeed brand. And um, it's interesting, uh, I, I would not have thought of titanium as a gravel or mountain bike frame, but why not? I mean, it's super strong, it's super light. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, you, you mentioned it's more of a high performance thing and uh, because of its priciness as a material. Uh, but I mean, if you're in that market, uh, pretty hard to ignore that as a possibility. I mean, what are, what are some of the things that titanium brings to that kind of frame that you won't find with things like carbon? I would say that for the gravel bikes specifically, or even the mountain bikes, you aren't as worried about your paint getting chipped, the carbon getting chipped. 
Um, so, and actually on our Obed bikes, you'll see when you get yours in, we do have a, we do have a frame protector on the bottom to help with that situation. But with titanium, I mean, those bikes are just so durable um, and they do last forever. And I, I think it just depends on how serious you, how serious you are, how much you plan to ride or race. You know, if you're going to go out and do, you know, the 200, I don't want to call it dirty Kansas, but they're re they're renaming as well, but the DK 200 or anything like that, those are some pretty intense rides. You might want to look at a, you know, light speed titanium. However, two years ago, um, or last year, 2019, one of our guys rode an Obed, which was then an Ecoe boundary gravel bike, um, at DK. And I think he did the 100 and he got second or third place. So you can go either way, but, um, titanium bikes do, they do last forever and they're extremely durable and very light. So it just really depends on what your preference is, I think. Lots of options. Well, Jamie Ann Rennick is the uh, director of marketing for the American Bicycle Group, manufacturers of Quintana Roo triathlon bikes, Obed Carbon, all road gravel and mountain bikes, as well as Lightspeed Titanium Road Gravel and Mountain Bikes. Uh, Jamie Ann joined me today from the ABG Manufacturing uh, Facility in Chattanooga. Thank you so much once again for joining me on the TriDoc Podcast. You're welcome. And that's it for another episode of the TriDoc Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. You can find archives of all of the shows as well as a handy collections feature where I have grouped the shows by category at the-tridoc-podcast.captivate.fm. Do you have questions about any of the issues discussed on this episode? Or do you have a question that you'd like me to consider answering on a future episode? Well, send me an email at tri underscore doc at icloud.com if you're interested in coaching services please visit try.coaching.com where you can find a lot of information about me and the services that i provide you can also follow me on the tridoc podcast facebook page tridoc coaching on instagram and the tridoc coaching youtube channel the music heard at the beginning and the end of the show is radio by empty hours and is used with permission this song and many others like it can be found at ReverbNation.com, where I hope that you'll visit and give small independent bands a chance. The TriDoc Podcast will be back again soon with an interview with Fraser Atkinson, a sports psychologist, who will give me some insights on the mental games that athletes play while training and racing. Of course, I'll also have another medical question to answer, but until then, train hard, train healthy. Train healthy.